Welcome to the Stephen Mansfield Podcast. Welcome to the Stephen Mansfield Podcast. Great to have you with me, eager to dive into today's topic. If you've been paying attention to the news, I'm sure you know that President Donald Trump has declared a state of emergency regarding our southern border uh, in an attempt to build his uh, wall of restraint against immigration through the southern border of the United States. And so he has declared a state of emergency, which means he can access certain funds without the approval of Congress. And uh, he can make this thing happen more rapidly. And I want to drop back for just a moment and reflect on a little history, some ancient history, in fact, and then come back to this recent issue in our news, this recent episode, and talk about what it might mean. You know, in American history, there has been a valuing of a certain image, particularly American politics. And this image emerges from the ancient Roman world and a man named Cincinnatus. Cincinnatus was a Roman statesman who was, uh, he actually had fallen out of favor because of some of his son's political opinions. But when the uh, early republic, uh, early empire was raided, uh, people clamored for his leadership. So he literally left his plow. He was sort of a gentleman farmer, um, left his plow, took control of the apparatus of state, repelled the enemy. And when the crisis had passed, he returned, he simply resigned power and returned to his, to his farm, returned to his regular business, his civilian life, so to speak. This is about 400. 58 BC. That's the date usually associated with this work of his. And so Cincinnatus then has become an image of the man, the uh, the private gentleman, the, uh, the, the private man of trade uh, who steps into politics, serves, accomplishes purposes, and then resigns power, not grasping it, not making a career of it, and goes back to his original work in a noble way. And so that image of Cincinnatus, of course, is, has, has been lauded. It was especially lauded by the American founding fathers. Um, You may know that books about George Washington have been called American Cincinnatus, and he's been referred to as, uh, you know, the Cincinnatus. Others have been called this as well. Uh, Cincinnatus, of course, gave us the name for the city of Cincinnati and the society of Cincinnatus and uh, things of that nature. So this is an image that we have. We like the idea of the man coming from his farm, the man coming from, uh, you, you know, his regular civilian daily life. the noble work of the land, the noble ventures elsewhere, his car dealership, whatever it is, Um, and uh, exercising political power, not grasping it, uh, not not claiming it, not making it a career, uh, serving the state, serving nobly, and then returning to his private life. Uh, This was part of the appeal of Jimmy Carter, for example, a supposed uh, peanut farmer. The only reason I say supposed, I like Jimmy Carter for the most part, is that he wasn't just a, a peanut farmer. He was also a Navy officer. And so he had, you know, he went to, went to the Naval Academy. He was a man very accomplished and more politically astute than he liked to let on. Um, but almost every candidate today, even oddly, people who are in, in, you know, the House and the Senate run against Washington. They run as outsiders. I'm someone new. I'm someone from the streets. I'm among you. I can make a difference. We need people who aren't career Washington. We need people 
people who drain the swamp. We need people who are from the outside. And I get that virtue, and I like that history, and I like that image, and I admire George Washington, Harry Truman, people who came into power, resigned, and went back to private life. I mean, Harry Truman spent the end of his life uh, leading tours of the Truman Library in in Independence, Missouri, and uh, uh, I like him very, very much. Love David McCullough's book on Truman and recommend it to you. But but there's a there's a problem with this image, and, and I want to be honest about it here and, and and see if maybe we can grapple with some truths. The the problem is that when that that government now has become so complex, the processes of Washington have become maybe not daunting, but but definitely there's a, a certain map, a certain way things are done. Not all of it is noble, not all of it is good, but but still there's a system, just like there is in any, you know, university or any military base or any career. I don't expect to step into banking from my profession and understand it all and be able to run it. There's a certain knowledge that needs to be had. And so while we we celebrate the Cincinnatus image, while we like the guy who comes from, you know, my favorite name for a town in Tennessee is Bucksnort, Tennessee. So let's say there's a guy who comes from Bucksnort, Tennessee. You know, they used to talk about Jimmy Carter being the man from Plains. And it was it's an image that we really, really like. And obviously, this was part of the appeal of Donald Trump. Uh, Donald Trump, though he was was and is wealthy and prominent and had dabbled in politics and had certainly, you know, worked politicians for many years and done major projects, um, he was running as an outsider. He was running uh, as the crass, brash, hard-hitting, hard-talking, bombastic uh, outsider who maybe didn't know everything about the inside of Washington, but he would drain the swamp and, and make America great again. But there, but there's a problem with this, and, and I, I want to say very quickly, I'm not opposed to the whole Cincinnatus image, and I'm not opposed to everything that Donald Trump does. As you know, I'm a moderate, slightly right of center, so I celebrate some of what Donald Trump does, though I have repeatedly in this podcast decried the manner in which he does it and the way that our society is in, in, in partially being radicalized and uh, divided over his manner and his way of doing things. But what we saw in this declaring of a state of emergency in order to get his border wall built, in order to uh, stop what he considers to be an emergency on our southern border, uh, what he did was the kind of thing someone does when they are uh, not experienced, when they are not going to be willing to be patient with the political processes of D.C., when they're not willing to work the system, uh, but instead realize that they can simply declare a state of emergency, bypass the entire thing, and get what they want. This is a businessman's way of thinking. This is business men, especially big businessmen, tend to think in terms of how can I circumvent government? I'm not picking on them. I'm pro-business. Um, I, I, we all do the same thing. We all try to figure out how little taxes we can pay. How can we um, obey the law but not have to be you know, victimized by it, so to speak? Uh, man's going to build a building. Yes, I'll do everything that's required of me, but I don't really intend to do a whole lot more uh, just because the government would like for me to do something that seems to me silly in my wiring or silly in my, my front access or what have you. Um, And this is Donald Trump 
uh, without question. So what he's done is he's declared a state of emergency. And now then he can bypass the political processes in D.C. He doesn't have to negotiate with Nancy Pelosi. He doesn't have to work a deal. He doesn't have to work the system. He doesn't have to, as Tom DeLay used to say, grow the vote, which is a phrase I really like, grow the vote. Uh, And instead, he can just bypass the whole thing, frankly, flip the bird to the Democrats um, and build this border wall. Now, those who want a border wall, those who think we're in, in a state of emergency on the southern border, and those who like Donald Trump are celebrating. They think it's awesome. Uh, but but let's just drill down for just a little bit. What Donald Trump is having to do in order to accomplish this is raid funds that are used for the military. These are national emergency funds, and they are connected to funds for military bases. And so as you are hearing, it's possible that some DOD schools, that means Department of Defense schools, those are the schools that are in the U.S. and abroad on military bases, uh, are, are, are going to be defunded. In fact, some construction might even stop. Now, I want to pause and say that I'm a little bit sensitive to this. I grew up as a military brat. Uh, I went almost entirely to DOD schools until I went to a private university uh, at the age of 18. Uh, only a couple of times, in fact, I'm trying to think back, I think only once did I ever go to a school in my entire first 18 years that wasn't a DOD school. And that was when my parents lived uh, off post in Virginia at Fort, Fort Lee. Um, So all of that to say that I'm sensitive to the fact that that DOD schools are being diminished for the announcement of this state of emergency. Uh, I, I certainly don't want to claim that that I hurt personally. My father was a colonel, and nobody, you know, when, once you achieve that rank, your people aren't going to put you in a, a house that's not finished, or or you know, leave your kitchen somehow maggot ridden and your appliance is not working. But that happens constantly on military bases, especially in. Allow me to say this without being insulting, the lower ranks, so to speak. I just mean lower than my father. This isn't anything about me. Um, it's common for non-commissioned officers and their families to move into houses and uh, and to, to have the facilities not be all that great. There have been news stories about this recently, to have leaks and have rust and have animal problems and what have you, uh, rat problems even, um, because the funding is not there. It's not that anybody intends to diminish them. It's that the funding is not there, and sometimes it's bad management. So certainly not claiming that I had some horrible upbringing. I didn't. But I'm aware of the value of these schools. I'm aware of the sacrifices of people who serve in the military. And I believe we ought to take care of their families a whole lot better than we often do. And so while some some listening to this podcast, and obviously you're welcome, and I don't entirely disagree with you, are celebrating what Donald Trump has done on the, on the southern border, um, and celebrating the way he has done it, we need to be aware that by not growing the vote, by not working the politics, by not negotiating with Congress, he's taken a radical step, which now uh, diminishes the benefit to people we ought to be honoring and taking better care of. And this is being done largely because he's a man impatient with politics. Now, I'm an impatient person. And I understand uh, being impatient with Washington and how it works. I'm here. I'm sitting in Washington right now as I record this, and I'm involved in politics. And I understand that it can just be you just want to scratch your eyes out with with the insanity of how it is sometimes. But Donald Trump ran for president. 
and he needs to try to work with Congress as best possible and always trying to do an end run, always trying to flip off uh, Congress, especially now that it's the, the House at least is controlled by Democrats, is going to produce problems. So we got a number of things here. First of all, do we really have a gigantic crisis on our southern border? I think there is a crisis. I don't think it's gigantic, and I don't think it's a national emergency, to be honest with you. Um, I do think our immigration policy is stupid. I do think there are some people who want open borders, which is ridiculous. If you don't have borders, you don't have a nation. Uh, I do think that we should get some of these people on the track to citizenship, not thinking we can move 8 million people back across the border. The fact is that immigration across our southern border is is diminishing uh, for a variety of reasons. Yes, we need security. Yes, we need to guard our borders. Yes, we need to have a healthy immigration program. I'm very close to people in the Middle East, as you know, as a man who works and teaches in Saudi Arabia and works with the Kurds. And I can tell you that our policies uh, regarding even our friends in the Middle East and uh, when it comes to immigration have just been ridiculous of late. So uh, yes, we need some reform. But to declare a national emergency, raid military funds, including DOD schools, um, and just largely because Donald Trump sees himself as a Cincinnatus wanting to do an end run around the, the system, uh, it has got some problems. And so, yes, I laud the Cincinnatus history and heritage and image, but I wonder, I have to wonder aloud here on this podcast, does that really work? I don't want a government only of Washington, D.C. insiders, but I do want a government run by people who are patient enough to learn the system, patient enough to realize that politics is not like private business leadership. It's a different thing. You have to negotiate. You have to build consensus. You have to grow the vote. You have to convince people. You have to get folks on your side. And this is a product, I think, largely of Donald Trump's impatience. I don't think we're being raided across the southern border. Yes, there are problems. I lived in Texas. I have friends who have ranches right down there on the border. And yes, they, they need to be better protected and better supported. And frankly, I, I know firsthand, uh, personally, some people have been killed uh, by Ill- illegal immigrants. I'm not insensitive to this issue, but this approach is radicalizing more people in the country. It's offending those in Congress. It's sidestepping the process. It's it's ignoring the division of powers, the separation of powers our founding fathers instituted. And I think we all know it's largely because Donald Trump is impatient with the process, realized he had a, an, an authority that he could trigger, and has now Uh, declared a national emergency. Well, it sets horrible precedent. Think about somebody you don't like being in the presidency and doing the same things, let's say on extending abortion or on favoring certain nations uh, or or on helping people of a certain socioeconomic class or helping one race as opposed to another or or helping, I don't, I can't imagine it, but helping women as opposed to men. I'm just making this up now. I'm I'm, I'm pretty much a Christian feminist myself. Um, what, What, how will you feel at that point? So this is a situation where a man who couldn't get the votes declared a national emergency, um, and, and when, frankly, the thing he calls an emergency is actually diminishing numerically and not increasing. It could have been handled another way. So we have to ask ourselves, does the Cincinnatus myth serve us well in our generation? I'm grateful for those who have come from the hinterlands and been great leaders. I liked Truman. I liked much of Jimmy Carter. He said some things that makes me crazy, especially about the Middle East. But uh, but nevertheless, I, I, I like that image. We've had good people like that. Lincoln was a little bit like that. He had been in Congress for a short while before he went into office, but uh, but mainly had, had been in the uh, Illinois legislature. Um, 
so we, we've had some great presidents who emerged like that, but does it work now? Do we not have to have people who are a little bit patient with the system, who are willing to convince people, who are willing to make a case? And I have to tell you that that's one thing that both Donald Trump and Republicans don't do well. They don't make their case. What is happening? What are the statistics? What's actually taking place on the southern border? The president can command troops down there, and he can declare a national emergency. But obviously, he didn't make a compelling enough case even to win all Republicans, much less Democrats and the rest of the country. Most people think, uh, the surveys show that most people are not with him, uh, either on declaring a a state of emergency or sending uh, large amounts of troops. I think he's recently sent an additional 5,000 troops to the southern border. There are other ways this could be dealt with. So, I realize he made a campaign promise. I realize he's trying to fulfill it. I realize that it's perpetual campaign season in Washington, D.C. Again, I'm sitting right here in the mess. But we have to ask ourselves, does the Cincinnatus image work for us in this generation? And has Donald Trump simply in an impatience and an ignorance of the system and a lack of willingness to work the system sidestepped it when he would have accomplished more long term by winning hearts and minds? That's a question we need to answer. And we need to question it soon because now we have stepped into uncharted territory. I believe we will see a Democratic president in the future be tempted to declare a national emergency on something that no one ever intended a national emergency to be declared for and use funds that were better used elsewhere. Let me close this podcast with a shout out to all of those military brats, all of those DOD school attendees and graduates. I love you and I'm with you. Stephen Mansfield is a New York Times bestselling author, a popular speaker, and a frequent faith and culture commentator on Fox and CNN. His groundbreaking books on faith and society include The Faith of George W. Bush, The Search for God in Guinness, Mansfield's Book of Manly Men, and Lincoln's Battle with God. Learn more at stephenmansfield.tv.